My guest this week is a child actor who worked with such great comedy talents as Carl Reiner, Steve Martin, Bob Newhart, B. Arthur, Nancy Walker, John Aston, and O.J. Simpson. He was a cast member on three sitcoms in the late 1970s, early 80s. The Nancy Walker Show, Grandpa Goes to Washington with Jack Albertson, and the Bad News Bears TV show with Corey Feldman, Christoph St. John, and Jack Warden. He might be best known for being the voice of TV's Richie Rich. I'm excited to talk to Mr. Marcus Cecilio, a.k.a. Sparky Marcus. Thank you very much. I always thought that Sparky Marcus would be the, is the best Boston name ever. <laughs> yeah, I never thought of that. <laughs> Going over to see Sparky Marcus. Yeah. Um, you know, how I got that name was actually kind of a funny story. Um, you know, the 60s. I was born in the 60s, and dads weren't in the delivery room back then. They were, you know, my dad was outside chain smoking. So my uh, my mom had to drive herself to the hospital. My dad doesn't do well in emergent situations, you know, even a, a planned C-section. So when the nurse handed me to my mother, they, uh, my parents had been arguing about what to name me. And they, my mom finally just threw up her hand and said, surprise me. So when the nurse handed me my, to my mother, instead of saying, here's your little baby or here's your little darling, she said, here's your little Sparky. So my mother thought my dad did it. <laughs> and so when my mom finally saw my dad, she said, oh, did you see Sparky? And he said, oh, yes, he was darling. Isn't he great? So my dad thought my mom did it, and it took him days to figure out it was really the nurse. But your birth certificate says? Marcus Asolio. No, it didn't make it to the birth certificate. Probably a good thing. <laughs> I'm sure they saw Stranger Things in the 60s. Do you remember a time watching TV when you weren't on TV? <laughs> uh, that's an interesting question. Um, no, because actually I had I was the youngest of four kids. And the age range, my oldest sister is 10 years older than me. And so between me and my nearest sibling was nearly seven years. So they were significantly older than I was. So when it came time to that, I was aware enough to watch television. Um, I wasn't in charge of the television. My sister, my sisters and brother were. So, yeah, it, I, my oldest memories are actually seeing me in commercials. You, know, you never knew when they were coming on. And then all of a sudden it was like, hey, look at that. So how did you get into the acting business? Um, my mother's close family friend was Claudia Lamb's mother. And I don't know if you know who that is. She was on um, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. She did all kinds of stuff, uh, commercials and print ads. Very, She was a very busy young lady. Anyway, she's just a couple of years older than me. And her mother talked my mother into taking me to meet an agent. And the rest was history. She actually did my first set of lithos the professional photos that you submit when you go to an interview. They don't call them interviews anymore, do they? They call them auditions. But back in the day, we called them interviews. Um, when you go into an interview, you hand them a headshot or whatever. With kids, they do more posed things. Um, so, yeah, she actually took my first set. Okay. Do you remember the first thing you interviewed for? No. No. But I, the first thing I remember working on was a McDonald's commercial. I have a picture of it somewhere in, you know, the archives that are the the, <laughs> the deepest, darkest reaches of my garage. <laughs> um, yeah, it was one where um, Ronald was using a fishing pole and pulling burgers out of a top hat like a magician kind of thing. I was I don't even think I was five years old. I think I was three and a half, four. Wow. I, I This is the 2023 is my 50th year in Screen Actors Guild. I got my, my card 50 years ago. And I just turned 56. Congratulations on your birthday. <laughs> Why, well, thank you. I made it. And 
like a decade ago, you would get those screeners for all the movies before they came out. I still do, because uh, I live in a rural area of California, and I can't necessarily um, stream the stuff that they want you to stream. So I opted in for DVD screeners only. That's great. You get the movies before everybody. I know. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so I want to ask you first about Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Okay. Did What did they tell you about the character? All I knew is that it was a child evangelist. And I knew what that was because I think at the time that Norman Lear based that character on a real kid. Marjo Gortner. Yeah, I, I had no idea at the time. I was seven, I think, when I was spewing out three pages of dialogue at a time. Um, yeah, uh, learning lines was, a, was, a, it was work <laughs> back then. And they, they recorded every day. It was a five day a week job. And I think I did, I don't know how many episodes I did 20. Something like it says 20 on, on IMDb. They're wrong. Yeah, they could be wrong. Man, you know, I really try not to look at that stuff. Cause for me, it's like going down a rabbit hole. Right. You know, I remember stuff and I'm like, no, that's not how, what I remember. Yeah, it is. Um, I seem to think it was more than that, but I don't know. Um, they had to kill me off to get me on the Nancy Walker show. The Nancy Walker show was, uh, I went straight from Mary Hartman to Nancy Walker. And they electrocuted you with a toaster. And it, no, it was a television. Uh -oh. It was supposed to be a television. He died for the 530 News or whatever Loretta's line was. I don't remember. I've never seen an episode of it. They, they made them all, you could buy all of them. And it's just too much. Couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, there must be hundreds of episodes. It was, was on for, it was on for like a full year and three months, and it was yeah, five episodes a week. Couple couple of breaks of like a couple of weeks. Off. Yeah, yeah, those guys were working. Um, Claudia and I worked together on that, and it was kind of cool. The first time I ever worked with a friend. Yeah, and I heard a story about a spanking that you thought was going to be like a little nothing. You heard that. Yeah. Did I say, did I tell that story? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, God. And Dabney Coleman. You know, the way I was always in the business was if you rehearse it wrong, you do it wrong. So you always got to rehearse it right. You know, there's no screwing around in rehearsals. So we rehearsed it and we rehearsed it and he never touched me. You know, he would just say something like, okay, this is me spanking you, or something to that effect. And when we recorded, he uncorked. <laughs> Yeah, I. Uh, that is one clip that somebody sent me that they wanted to put on a website and asked my permission. And I actually said, I'm not okay with that because it really freaking hurt. Um, you know, it was over quickly and he thoroughly apologized. And I realized we were all in the moment and that's how that stuff goes. But damn, dude, <laughs> I uncorked on my butt. Okay, it was in the script. It was a great shot, right? <laughs> I never, I've never seen it. Oh, okay, yeah, I. It's just like I saw yeah, like a 15 second clip of it. Yeah, I was only hurt on the set one other time, and uh, they used the shot. <laughs> yeah. So you did Freaky Friday before the, uh, Mary Hartman? No, no, Mary uh, Freaky Friday. We filmed the summer of '76. I'm almost positive it was the summer of '76. So I was nine. I, I was eight going on nine. And um, then what was? What was that cast like, Jodie Foster? They were fantastic. That was one of the, the most fun I ever had working on anything. John Aston was wonderful to me. Barbara Harris was wonderful to me. Jodie Foster was class before I even knew what class was. She was a classy lady. Um, uh, uh, the other characters that I worked with, everybody was very nice to me. And, you know, you, you take away, when you're a kid on a set, you walk on the set for, for the first day and you're kind of like, how is this going to go? 
you know, is everybody going to be nice to me or is everybody kind of ignore me or not want me around kind of thing? Because it could go either way. Um, people I worked with absolutely positively did not like working with kids and took it out on me. You know, yeah, I was seven years old and the main person won't talk to me. It's like, what did I do wrong? Um, but that was a very welcoming place. I was very lucky. That would probably be, I'm guessing, the one that you might have seen more than all your other work. My parents forced me to go to see a theatrical version after it was released. And I was not happy. It's just, you know, it's not my style. I'm a back of the room kind of guy. I don't, I don't like attention. And I didn't like attention then, you know, and my parents really couldn't understand that because everybody, you know, you think, isn't it great? You know, you're getting all this attention and actually it just wasn't my, it wasn't my gig. It wasn't like when you hear your own voice kind of, it wasn't one of those kind of things. Like I said, I've only seen a couple of things that I've ever done. And the few times I've heard my own voice, it's very surreal. You know, it's like, I sound like that. That's my voice. Right. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I, it was just easier for me. It gave me plausible deniability. Oh, you liked it? Great. <laughs> now, you did say um, that you didn't work with Carl Reiner, but you did an episode of his show, Good Heavens. Do you have any memory of that? I don't. I really don't. Okay, it's fine. Kenneth Mars was a shoe salesman who wanted to be a comedian, and that was his wish. And he, because he gave you a balloon, which is uh, only supposed to go, only supposed to go to the kids who he sells shoes to, shoes uh, to. Uh, yeah. Carl Reiner grants his wish of being a comedian. Uh, no, I, uh, yeah, like I said, there. I'm sure there's a lot of things that have slipped yeah. the old cogs over the years. Yeah, uh, it's in. I know you're not going to watch it, but it's on YouTube, so. A lot of times, you know, I, I worked a lot when I was a kid and, you know, I missed a lot of school. I mean, they give you school on the set in California, so it's not like I missed my education. I just missed like the whole interaction. And there are huge blocks in my memory where I was just working the interviews. We'd hit sometimes three to five interviews a day after school. So I got out of school at three o'clock. I had to be right out front to see if my mom's car was there because if it was, we had to boogie. And to get from where we were in Pasadena to out to where the studios and interview places were, um, she knew every back road and every easy way to get anywhere because the freeways were generally gridlock. Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot of moving. And man, we had, she drove this big old Cadillac, and I'm telling you, she wielded that thing like the Millennium Falcon flying down the road. <laughs> Did you appear ever appear on a talk show? Yeah, I remember in sixth grade, I did uh, AM Los Angeles, which was like today, like the Today Show, but it was local. So it was on in the morning, like 10 o'clock. It was after the national shows. They had a local one. Um, yeah, I don't really remember any other ones. Maybe. I always thought that you had a really good, uh, like Gary Coleman, had a very good delivery of, of a joke. <laughs> My timing was good. Yeah, you very good timing, especially on the episode of the Bob Newhart Show. That was fun. I had a blast on that episode. And, you know, did you catch the story that I tell about that one? I mean, I've only told it a couple of times. But um, so when I went on when I went on set, I generally hung out with the crew rather than the cast. That's just who I related to more. I liked hanging out with the sound guys. I saw a future of me maybe someday being a sound guy. because I acting wasn't my thing. It was just how I grew up. I thought everybody did it. So anyway. I'm hanging out with the crew and it must have been lunchtime and we're just sitting there BSing and this guy comes walking in and he's talking to the crew like you knew who they were, like they worked before or something. So, okay, fine. This guy looks at me and he goes, hey, I got something for you. Hang out right here. I'll be right back. So he comes back with a Star Wars t-shirt 
and a Star Wars lobby poster, an original one, and goes, you got to see this movie next year. You're going to love it. It was George Lucas. <laughs> He's the guy. <laughs> and I had no idea who this guy was. And I'm just like, yeah, hey, thanks. I appreciate it. I still have the T-shirt. It's like one of the few things I have from my childhood that survived. Uh, but, yeah, I could never get rid of that thing. Yeah. Coolest That's thing cool. ever. And that was on the set of Bob Newhart. Do you have any other memories of, of the show? WKRP, everybody was very nice. I had so much fun that week. Everybody was really cool. And, you know, uh, Gordon Jump, I thought that guy could take his joke timing was perfect. Everybody's joke timing on that show was perfect. Um, and, you know, I was that guy in school who liked to crack you up. So, you know, I, I, I wasn't unfamiliar with trying to be funny. Um, but, you know, Bad News Bears, a lot of kids, a lot of drama, you know. You can't put more than three kids together and expect everybody to behave. So we had interesting times on that set. Um, some of the kids, you know, when you're on a when you're on a studio, a lot, everybody gets around by golf cart. Well, sometimes the golf carts would disappear. <laughs> kids would be out joyriding the golf cart. Yeah, we used to get in trouble here and there. That's not bad though. Yeah, you know, it comes with territory, right? Yeah, when you were on the Nancy Walker show, for example, was it better than when you had to audition? And because you had a set schedule every week, was that better? Working's always good. Working's yeah. always better. Um, interviews can get tedious, and you know when you're eight, ten, twelve, even fourteen years old, you go on up fifty interviews in a year, and you don't get a job. You start getting self conscious about you know what's wrong with me, you know, especially because I I was so busy for so long. And but you everybody hits that stage. Very few make it from kid to adult. Uh, not many. And you got to be really good. Um, you know, they say that and I don't know if this is true. Only like two or three percent of Screen Actors Guild membership is ever working on any one given day. So that means 97 percent is kicking it at home, going on interviews and trying to get better. So, yeah, having a job and not having to go on interviews is always good. But I'm just, I just meant for like a set life, like you get up and you. This is when I'm going to go to the set. This is when I have dinner. You know, the scenery changed, but the MO was always the same, especially when you're a kid because there were child labor laws. So you couldn't report before this time. You couldn't go this long without having lunch. You couldn't stay this late in a day. You had to film. All filmography had to be done by 530. I mean, there were all these rules. And to work late, you had to get waivers from the school board, which L.A. County School Board oversees the child acting industry. That's where we had to get our work permits from. You know, you want to work at McDonald's, you can go to your high school and they give you this cardboard thing that's your work permit. You want to work on a TV set, you got to go through the, it used to be the LA County Board of Education. You got a special work permit that was stamped and verified and had to be signed by everybody. Um, it was complicated. And, you know, if you got in any trouble, the first thing they did was pull your work permit. You weren't working. Was there anybody that you knew was a giant star that you ended up working with? Or were you just so young that you really didn't? Uh, that's part of it. Okay. Part of it was I was young, but Jack Albertson, I knew who he was. I had seen him in movies. I knew, you know, who he yeah, Willy Wonka, who hadn't seen that. Um, he was wonderful to work with. Very nice man. Professional, but very cool, very down to earth. I never got under his skin. There was a teenage girl that was in that show, too. It was significant. I mean, I think I was about 10. She must have been about 15, 16. So it's not like we hung out or anything. Our ages were a little bit too different. But I felt like kind of the only kid on the cast sometimes because I just didn't see her all that often. 
Um, and I never had a problem on that set. They were always really cool. Um, Johnny Whitaker, God, when I was on Sigmund, I knew who he was. You know, Johnny Whitaker was a big name at the time. And, you know, he was a kid, but he was still yeah, the box office magic. Um, I did a commercial with Henry Fonda uh, for Viewmaster Viewers. Mm. Back and this is when we still lived in East LA, so I couldn't. It was before first grade. Um, he didn't like kids. <laughs> he was one of those guys who didn't like kids. And you know what? The commercial was full of kids. So yeah, I'm sure he was in his happy place. <laughs> um, let's see. I just wanted to ask you a little bit about Grandpa Goes to Washington. It's one of those shows that there's about five or six shows that I've, that were before my time. Never saw. And nobody has any video, audio, um, scripts, anything that the show ever existed. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it got canceled before the first season finished filming. It got canceled about six or eight weeks in to the show. And again, never saw it. But from what, I, what I'm told, it was a kind of one of those TV afternoon dramas before the really big run of TV, you know, midnight, not midnight, but you know, seven, eight, 30 dramas that went in at the time. Um, the cast was great. Sue Ann Langdon, Larry Linville. I knew who he was because I was a big fan of MASH. Um, you know, the cast was fabulous. And Paramount was a great place to work at the time. I had a good time there. Um, and I, you know, between Grandpa Goes to Washington and two, series, two seasons of Bad News Bears, I spent like three years on the Paramount lot, you know, during the different filming seasons. Um, I was there a lot. And, you know, I know I seen the commercial. He was he's like a very liberal guy, prof college professor. And yeah. his son, his son is like Senate. yeah, Runs Runs Senate. Senate. and his that son is, is very, very prickly conservative. Yeah, and he was the his character was a member of the Joint Chiefs. I remember Larry Linville. He went from the army to the Air Force, so he wore an Air Force uniform. I remember he had that big badge on one of the pockets that was a Joint Chief of Staff. So obviously he was a policymaker, a military policymaker in Washington D.C. And I was his kid going to military school, which is kind of funny because when my parents used to try and, you know, if I was misbehaving, if you don't shape up, we're going to send you to military school. And I wanted to go. I figured, yeah, let's do that. I'm down for it. So it was kind of the best of both worlds. I got to wear the cool military school uniform thing, but I didn't have to actually go. Do you have any memories of what's happening? Yeah. Uh, David Hollander and I keep in touch to this day uh, on oh, Facebook. Little Earl. Little Earl, yeah. And we had worked together a lot. Well, not a lot. Let me put it this way. You had your set of friends at school, and you had your set of friends at interviews. Because you're spending afternoons with one of them. It all depended what was going on. So when we, when I used to go on interviews, the kids that I saw there were the same kids every single time. And, and David Hollander was one of them. He was a working boy. That guy was busy. And he got the role in Airplane. Um I, there is me, him, a kid named Rossi Harris, and the girl uh, with the coffee joke. Her yeah. name was Michelle Stacy. We saw each other at interviews for years. And it's like it came down to the last four people that you know, on the fifth callback. And the fifth callback, after the fifth one, they got to pay you to show up. They get five chances to interview you before they got to pay. Um, I was the one that did that guy. I was a man out. So I was this close. To get in an airplane. I had Joel Thurman, uh, the casting director for that movie. I should have asked no him. No kidding. I should have <laughs> asked him why you didn't take. Uh, oh, yeah. I, hey, look, it would answer no, questions. It's been burning me my whole life. No, 
Um, I, you know, I, I don't know how much those guys remember. Casting agents beat thousands of people a year. I, he told me that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was the third choice. <laughs> really? It's supposed to be P. Rose. Huh? That would have been good. I can't, he's supposed to be easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't picture that without Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in that role. Roger, Roger. And it's supposed to be Harriet Nelson instead of Barbara Billingsley. She was yeah, – Barbara Billingsley was perfect. Right. I thought, he was, I thought that whole that whole sequence was hilarious. Yeah, I watched oh, yeah, that over and over when I was young. Um, Goldie and the Boxer, the, the you were, had a small uncredited role in the first one. It was the first one. IMDb got it wrong. Uh, okay, but you were in the second one. I was in the second one. Not a real awesome movie, I don't think. Nah, they go to Hollywood, so. Yeah, is, is that jumping the shark for that for that franchise? Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, let me put it this way: uh, O.J. Simpson was great, nice guy, and the guy who was hanging out with him at the time was uh, God. I'm just having a great time with names today. Uh, running back Marcus Allen. Marcus Allen, yeah, okay. yeah. He was hanging out with O.J. on the set, so I'm sitting there with you know, and it was before he won the Heisman. It was a couple years before he won the Heisman Trophy. So, you know, I didn't realize I was sitting there with, you know, a guy who's going to be in two NFL Hall of Famers, essentially. Um, Football is the only team, the only sport I follow anymore. So, yeah, he was very nice. And, you know, I had a good time on the set. Um, the other kid that was in it with me. Melissa. Something. You know, Melissa Michelson. She was cool. She's uh, the older sister to Peter Billingsley, the kid from Christmas Story. In real life, you're talking about? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he's Peter Billingsley's Peter Billingsley's older sister, um, and then Timmy Gibb, Tim Gibbs, was the other boy that was in that. We we had a good time. Uh, it, that was cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's that when it's your job, that's having fun is is doing the work. I mean, having fun when it's not a, when it's not a problem, it's a lot easier to go to work. It's a lot easier to make all this stuff happen. And you see, and I also will say that things seem to flow a little better when there's tension on the set. It just it gets uncomplicated, and you see it in the in the product. You met the Fonz. I did. I did one episode. Happy God, days. Happy days. Jeez, I swear I've done this before. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that okay. Now that particular cast, and maybe it was because I was a kid. Just I was an outsider, so I wasn't. I met everybody, and everybody was nice. And that's as far as it went. As far as like having conversations or anything like that, not on that. Not on that cast. What about with Hank Aaron? Nice guy. Um, he was, you know, he was classy. He didn't have a problem relating to me, but he was only on the set like one day, maybe two. You know, I mean, his his role was pretty minor, and I don't know how busy that guy's schedule was at that at that time. But he wasn't on. He wasn't there all week for all the rehearsals and stuff. Not I remember it. And you were also on a show called Good Time Girls, which was a that was fun too. Gary Marshall. Okay, I got a good story on that one. Yeah, Gary Marshall again. Um, Peter Scolari was yeah. on that show. Yeah. Okay. He juggles. Did you know that he was like yeah. a big time master juggler? Okay. So we're we're taping. It's it's opening day essentially. We're doing our first episode of the pilot. Everybody's jittery. If you've ever been like that, it's like a high school play. You know, when you're going out to do it the first time, everybody's just antsy. So he's sitting backstage, just juggling like crazy, right? So they start recording, you know, they, they're, they're recording, they're live out there. We're 20 feet away backstage from the action. 
So he's got three balls. He's out there. Well, I start screwing around with him, and I'm, you know, trying to swipe my hand between the balls. I drilled one. I drilled one hard. And when I drilled it, it hit a glass. <laughs> Oops. It hit a glass uh, water dispenser. You know, the five-gallon bottles. So in slow motion, I'm watching this thing go, and it went cup, big old explosion of glass, water everywhere. We looked at each other and split. We ran in other directions. <laughs> I don't know if they figured out whatever what happened that, but it wasn't me, man. I wasn't there. And that cast was was Linda Goodfriend, I think, from also from Happy Days. Eddie Mecca was he on? No, I don't remember. Had Adrian's Med. Was there oh, George oh, Angle? George Angle from the Maritime. Yeah. yeah, and oh, the the Annie Potts. Annie Potts, yeah, and man, did she have a great career? Um, and Lorna Patterson, uh, the stewardess from Airplane. Yeah, TV's <laughs> Private Benjamin. Uh, you know, I only saw that once. I didn't realize. I thought, oh, the series. Yeah, the series. Um, not yeah, not yeah. only one. No, they were a great cast. And Marsha Wallace, Mar Marsha Wallace, was the significant other of my agent. Uh, my agents, one of the agents in my agent's office was a guy named Dick Woody, and that was his significant other. So I had known her since I was a little kid. And you know, granted, I was in sixth grade. You know, I was twelve when we filmed that. But you know, I had known her for five or six years, which is you know, when you apply dog years to movie years, it's kind of the same thing. You know, you're on a season for one year. It feels like seven. And you were also on the Bob Newhart show with her. Yep. Uh, with who? Marshall Wallace. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. She was his secretary or whatever. Yeah, that's right. And that was one of Lonnie Anderson's first roles. And I was going to say, and Lonnie Anderson played your mom. And then nice you lady. Nice lady. She was very nice. And when I saw her again on, on WKRP in Cincinnati, very nice. And, you know, she she was the blonde bombshell of the of the era. And you automatically want to think that this is a snobby person who's not, a, you know, friendly. Quite the opposite. She was nothing but friendly. Great lady to work with. Everybody on that cast was. And then you did um, voice work for about six years, seven years. Yeah. yeah. And it was I got I started doing Richie Rich when I was in elementary school. And I think I did it all the way through like eighth or ninth grade. So Richie Rich was on again, off again for about three or four years. And the best thing about that, and I didn't really appreciate it at the time, there were no other kids working at Hanna-Barbera. So when they needed, you know, the generic boy voice, I just got another job and I didn't have to interview for it. Uh, my agent would call my mom and say, yeah, I picked up another cartoon starting next week. And I was just like, woohoo. Didn't have to interview. Not a pain in the butt to you know, run all around Hollywood begging for a job. So, yeah, I worked there for uh, Mr. Barbera actually filled out a letter of recommendation for college for me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they were nice guys. You know, what cracks me up is I looked up the old building, 3400 Coenga Boulevard. It's condos. Mm. They turned it into condos. So much history there. I used to watch one of the first cards. Richie Rich is one of the first cartoons I remember watching. Oh, wow. So 1980, I was like two. But, <laughs> but like it came, it went on, it went off. It was on USA's Cartoon Express and reruns. So mm, It was all over the place. Um, yeah, I still, in fact, just last week or week before, I got a bunch of residuals. They're still showing it somewhere. Oh, from it's another country, though? 
who knows? No, I mean, no, they were local. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my residuals are down to like five cents for every episode that shows. So, you know, you get a check for a buck. It's like, woo. Um, sometimes I get checks for a penny. Mm, yeah. The stamp was worth more. Yeah. But yeah, you do like Richie Rich. And then you were in uh, Saturday Supercade. I, I, I never watched them. You know, my Saturday morning you're too, cartoon. You were too old for that. <laughs> no way, man. I was still watching Bugs Bunny. Yeah. I never could get past that. I still watch it even now. Damn funny stuff. What's the story with the man with two brains? Were you in it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's it's an uncredited. I mean, it could be IMDb. Uh, the Bellboy. That is yeah. one of the, you know, generally you don't get a lot of credit back then if your character didn't have a name. So if you were the maid or the bellboy or cop number 14, generally you didn't make the credits. Um, they actually, I had to go down to San Diego to Stan Winston's studio and do the mask thing so they could make the mustache pop out, which they filmed in reverse. They built a mask of me and then pulled the mustache back in um, because Kathleen Turner was supposed so hot. It was supposed to make me go through puberty, you know, like that kind of a thing. Um, yeah, Steve Martin was really nice. And so was Kathleen Turner. We had, had Kathleen Turner and I had the same agent for a period of time. So, yeah. And this was the live action, last live action thing you did, right? Yeah. Yeah. See, I got I got hurt on the set uh, of Trapper John MD, and I didn't want to do it anymore. I was done. You know. Yeah. The stunt coordinator pulled a fast one on me. And didn't tell me there were going to be explosives within, you know, six inches of my head. And when they lit them off, it split my head open. And the the scene we were filming, I was about four or five feet off the ground. So I fell on top of that. And they didn't tell me that was happening. Nobody told me. Yeah. So I just, I finished the shoot. They were cutting. So I had a, I had 19 stitches in my forehead. And I had a very minimal dressing on it for the time. And they were taking hair from the back of my head and gluing it to the front of my hairline mm -hmm. to try and hide it. So if you ever look at the, if you ever watch it, apparently you can see like my hair is going brown, you know, to try and cover this, this giant bandage on my forehead. Um, and basically I got overruled by my folks who said, no, you need to keep doing this. So the good news for me was I fell into cartoons and that was apparently enough for them. But one of the last things I interviewed for anything on camera was man with two brains and only to have them overdub me in final. So yeah, that's not my voice. Yeah. The, it's like a, a cl classic. Is it? Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I'm in one. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and I did watch the Peter Pan syndrome episode. You, you were yeah. very good. You think yeah, so? Very, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was well, a serious thing too. It was the first time I got to play older. I was always playing younger. You know, I was 14. I was in eighth grade when we filmed that. And it was in December. It was right around my birthday. I never got to play somebody who was 17 years old. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. So I got to show rage and anger and you know, teenage angst that I hadn't quite tapped into yet. So, okay. yeah, that was cool. And then, in, so 1985, you stopped, stopped doing cartoons. I turned 18, so I had a vote, and I voted no. <laughs> I had had enough. 
you know, the, the business eats you up to a degree. And, you know, what I had to do in order to make things work for me is learn how to put my emotional baggage in a box and put that box away. Because if you can't work, if you're too emotional, you got stuff going on, you, you, you're not going to get called back. You're not going to get more jobs. You know, and I've told this to anybody who listened back then, and I'm hoping things are different now, what they wanted from child actors. Now, granted, the acting quality for children has gone, has had a meteoric rise in quality since I was working. Um, they wanted you to shut up, hit your mark, show up on time and know your lines. That was it. Those four things. If you did those four things, chances are you're going to get another job. If you didn't do those four things, probably not. So I, my mother, I, those four things were drilled into me. So that's what I did. And after a while, it just kind of gets old. I, I was never in it for the heart. I never felt the burn, you know, to do that as a job that I knew other people had. And it, frankly, I was kind of jealous when you saw somebody who really, really, really wanted this for the rest of their lives. That just wasn't me. And my parents knew it going into it. <clears throat> but, you know, until such time as I had my own majority, I was stuck following directions. And your father kept working throughout your career? Yeah. He did. He retired quite young. Hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, there were two checkbooks in the house. One was mine, one was his. And, you know... I was blissfully unaware of the amount of money I made. So I don't know if you're old enough for this or if it was already done by the time you got old enough. The um, Social Security Administration used to send you a printout of every year you pay taxes and what you're, uh, how much to, like Social Security you're going to get if you turn age whatever, you know, when you want to take it. So it had all these years listed. And I was already married. My son was already born. So it was sometime after 2001 was when I got my first one. And I looked at it and my head spun because I had no idea how much money I made. So if you can imagine this, get out of school, go to Hanna-Barbera, work for three or four hours, record 10 cartoons, 10 episodes, haul ass home. Sorry, beep. <laughs> um, okay, it doesn't matter. Okay. And then I parked cars at the Troubadour from 6, 6 p.m. to midnight for five bucks an hour. Yeah, I heard that. I was like wondering why. Yeah, because I needed the money. That was like date money to me. You know, that was gas money. That was, you know, I didn't get what was getting pumped through there. So I used to take a bucket. I'd go door to door and wash cars for five bucks. You know, it's like five dollars was a magic number to me when minimum wage at the time was like three thirty-five. We so, recognized? Sometimes. Martin Mole. I parked Martin Mole's car, who was on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman at the time. And he's looking at me and I'm like, yeah, you know me. And he's like, this is what you're doing now? I'm like, no, this is just extra money, dude. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> this is my side gig. <laughs> uh, you know, because you hear a lot about guys, you know, that don't get jobs anymore and they wind up waiting tables. You know, that wasn't me. I had work as long as I wanted as long, I don't want to say as long as I wanted work. It sounds far too cocky. I don't mean it like that. But I had work as long as I was in the mix to try and get work. But, you know, there just hit a time where I'd had enough. Did, did you work with the Frank Welker? Frank Welker, yes. Did, uh, cartoon royalty. I don't think there's a human being that has more credits than Frank Welker. Mm. Uh, the dude, he was a one-man band. 
uh, he would entertain us between stuff while they were resetting in the booth and everything. He was amazing. He was awesome. Uh, you know, and then doing those shows, I didn't realize the kind of cartoon royalty that I was mixing with, you know, and I didn't know them by face. So this guy walk in a room, he's just another guy. And then he starts talking and I'm like, oh, that's Johnny Quest's dad. I know that voice. That's Johnny Quest's dad. You know, and I would hear it's like, that's Rocky Squirrel. I know who that is. You know, and I just I would have these epiphanies, you know, as they went on with these people that I was that were in the room. Um, people would always ask, do they do the animation first or the voice first? They always do the voice first. Um, trying to do voice animation would be, huh, that's a nightmare. That's the loop group. Those guys that do pickups after movies are already made because the sound reel goes bad for whatever reason. Doing that takes timing and it's very frustrating work because it's so precise if you're even going to get close. Um, so record the voices. Well, it's always better to record the voices as it goes. So everybody is in the room that's in the episode recording everything. Well, you mentioned the space or cavalcade of cartoons or whatever. When they had one of the space stars, everybody's in the room, they'd have 20 mics in that place with 20 different people recording one of those episodes where everybody's in it. And I'm just going around the room going, I recognize him, I recognize him, I recognize her. Just amazed. And I was so lucky. I was the only kid in the room. Was Nancy Cartwright there yet? Yes. Yes. Uh, Nancy Cartwright was in Richie Rich. That was one of her first jobs. Um, I don't know if she did anything before, maybe a couple of things, but that was long before um, Bart Simpson. Um, so I got my physical therapy license in like, oh, I don't know, 1991, 1992, something like that. And uh, I moved to Northern California. And the best thing about moving to where I am is that nobody knows. You know, I didn't say anything and nobody knew. So one day I'm sitting in my office and this one of the guys comes in and goes, there's somebody named Nancy Cartwright on the phone for you. She says your name is Sparky. And I'm like, so I get on the phone and sure enough, she was releasing a book that was about to be released. And she didn't, she put a picture of her and me in it and didn't have a release. Yeah. So I'm like, really? What can we do here? I feel an autographed copy coming my way. <laughs> so yes, I have an autographed copy of her book and I happily yep. signed a release. My life is a 10 year old boy. Yeah, yeah. Yep, she sent me an auto, a personalized autograph picture and a book. So that was very nice of her. You know, I remember when they they started that. I remember when she started on Smurfs and Snorks. Um, I mean, how many hundreds of episodes did those two, just the Smurfs and the Snorks do, let alone pushing 30 years of The Simpsons? It's got to be up there. Yeah, it's the 34th year of The Simpsons. Wow. The Smurfs was on for seven years. That's forever in cartoons. That's yeah. forever. Yes, that's a long time because usually yeah. – those shows are on for two to three years. Yeah, if you're lucky. Richie went, you know, like I said, went on kind of on and off for three or four, something like that, three maybe. Um, yeah, and she was hilarious to work with too. We used to sit around and practice voices and stuff. We had fun. Don Messick, the guy who did the voice for Scooby-Doo, amazing man. Very nice guy. Um, was Doris Butler was her. Was, was her, her mentor. Yeah, yeah, Doris Butler. Never met him, never worked with him. When you were going around on in on the interview circuit did you meet as a friend of mine john femia doesn't ring a bell he was he was east coast so maybe he, there wasn't a lot of crossover there mason reese he and yeah. i knew each other because that kid was everywhere at the time um i remember seeing rodney. him on the, on the west coast i never made it to the east coast i remember seeing him on the west coast rodney allen rippy oh yeah. yeah but he was from los angeles i think was he from the east coast oh no i just yeah. when you no, said I remember him. Mason Actually, reese, yeah 
uh, Mason and Roddy are both Facebook friends of mine. So we kind of tangentially keep in touch. One of the last surviving cast members of um, Blazing Saddles. You're right. You're right. He's got to be the last. I don't think there's anybody else left. No, that that guy with the smile, the, the kind smile? of the, okay. He's still alive. Beans, Mr. Taggart. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. He's like in his mid 80s, and he just oh, he does uh, shows. He does uh, signing shows and stuff. Oh no, kidding! Good for him. It's Rodney Allen Rippy. Oh, no. That's great. He's Saddles uh, posters. I've never done one of those. Never been invited. And Mel Brooks, obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not going He was amazing to me. He was so nice to me. Um, I had access to him. I could go chat with him for a few minutes anytime I wanted. He was so nice. Very accommodating. Brilliant. He's one of those guys, I don't know if you've been in the presence of somebody who is honest to God, like, you know, Mensa quality, you know, intelligence. He's that kind of smart. And did you get to like hang out with Gary Marshall at all too? Because he's supposed to be very nice and dig. Yeah, I don't remember going to his office much. No, I I really don't. Um the softball game? Um, there was softball when I was on the set of Grandpa Goes to Washington. Um, I had my little I had my jersey forever. I don't know where it is. I think it's long gone. What about um, your Benny's Bears jersey? Actually, I still have it, but I promised it to a fan. Oh, no, no, no. I wasn't. That's not why I'm No, no, no. I'm not saying anywhere, but yeah, it's going to be shortly leaving my house one of these days. Um, yeah, I still hung on to that. You know, so when I left home, when I, so I graduated from high school on a Thursday. Uh, we, my high school traditionally has these grad night parties that are all night long. And then and the next Friday morning, you get breakfast and then you go home and collapse. Well, I did all that, went home and collapsed got up Friday afternoon and left home, went to college where I was in classes the Monday after I graduated from high school. I decided to, I wanted out of the house so bad. I signed up for summer session at the university of Oregon and went there. And, you know, my parents threw away or sold everything I owned, including my George Lucas presented star Wars poster. That was, all that was, that was all again. And I had a blue, a set of blue flake slingerlands from the seventies. I was a drummer uh, that still to this day just pisses me off when I think about it. Yeah, I came home for Christmas and all my stuff was gone. And like my yearbooks, my my vinyl collection, you know, everything, anything I didn't take with me was gone. The University of Oregon is that the one where they filmed Animal House? Yeah, yeah, yes, it is. And it wasn't quite like that when I was there. <laughs> I only lasted a couple of years. Um, I, I bounced out of a couple of universities before I officially got my act together. Um, you know, I, I was a good kid all through living at home. And when I finally, so when I turned 18, the, the portion of money that were required to be put away for a minor actor in California was only tied to series work and not cartoon series. So only television series. And I was on a few of them. But when I graduated from high school, and I, when I turned 18 in December of my senior year, <clears throat> my parents were very reluctant to participate at all, to release any, to sign off on my trust account. But it's okay. I was 18 and pissed off. So you tend to get a lot of stuff done when you're like that. And um, I had $30,000. So I figured, okay, at eight grand a year, that'll get me through college. No problem. Yeah, it lasted two years. <laughs> And then it was like, and eh, it was okay because U of O decided I was not quite their cup of tea either. So we parted ways. 
until I, I got my first job in physical therapy just before my 20th birthday or 21st birthday. And I worked in physical therapy until I retired last year. That's so great. 35 years and 28 years with the same company up here. I was going to ask you the same company. Yeah. 28 with the one I retired from. So I'm, I qualified for my Screen Actors Guild retirement this year. So I started drawing that. Why not? Yeah, you earned it. Yeah. So I'm going to take it. So I've got that. And, you know, between the money that my wife and I were able to set aside, my wife's a physical therapist. So and we've worked together pretty much since 1992, 93. And we didn't get married until 1998. Uh, took a while for me to realize that she was more than just a friend. <laughs> You know, it's funny is when I saw you on the other interviews, they said you should write a book and you said, oh, I don't think I have enough stories. But I think working with your wife day in, day out for 20 something years. <laughs> we were best friends. We were best friends first. We were best friends the day we met. And it was funny because it didn't start off well. It started off. We were arguing. We were arguing. She hit me. As soon as she walked in the room, I was in the first time I ever laid eyes on her. We, we locked horns. And I thought, OK, this is going to suck. And then by the end of the first day, we were we were best friends. And we've been that way ever since. And I was married at the time. My wife was in PA school being a physician assistant. And I was working seven days a week trying, you know, paying tuition so we could get through without loans and get that great start, you know, for our young life. And by the time she got out of PA school, our relationship was. And uh, a couple more years went by and I don't know. I was working all the time and I just didn't care about anything. And the office that we worked at passed a hat around and handed me 75 bucks and goes, you guys need to go out. Yeah. And we've been together ever since. And that sounds like a movie. <laughs> yeah, maybe someday. I don't know. Um, if you know a good, somebody who can adapt it, I'll tell the story if they can write it. <laughs> I've had every happy days writer on. Oh, really? Yeah. Were there a lot? Oh, yeah. Well, the show was on for 11 years. I, I know, but you, you never know. I, I realize that when I look at, a, at an episodic television show, Grey's Anatomy, that, oops, that lasts forever, that's still going, I realize you have a rotating door of writers. But I thought maybe in the 70s that that kind of group stuck together a little longer. I don't know. Well, they had all those uh, spinoffs. Yeah, they did. I was never a fan of Joey Loves Chachi. No. <laughs> but I had a question there from watching the reruns. Who's that? Kim Richards. Oh, yeah. Kim. I think everybody had a crush on Kim Richards at some point. Okay. But well, you, yeah. you met her? You know her? Oh, yeah. We used to see her at interviews like Eisenman. You know, they were the, the Escape from Witch Mountain kids. Mm. You know, yeah. We'd see each other at interviews. And Kylie. Kylie was just getting to work when I was younger. I mean, like before 12 before I was about 12 or 13, you know, you'd see boys and girls, even ones that were working and popular, they were still going on interviews too, just like everybody else. So you watched MASH. What were the other shows that you watched when you were growing up? Loved MASH, you know, and then it was all the Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley thing. Everybody watched that. Mork and Mindy, everybody. If <laughs> What I remember from elementary school, even into early junior high school, was the Croft Super Show. And when they would do in the fall they do a mix up of all the shows that were coming out that year. And I mean, that was something we all talked about the day after, you know, I loved all the Croft shows. Um, I have an autographed Slee stack head from Will and Holly that I bought off somebody. Um, 
I, I actually used to go watch when I was on Sigmund. I used to sneak onto the sets for Land of the Lost and Electric Woman and Dinah Girl just to watch them tape, just to watch them work. It was fun. You know, when you're green and dressed like a genie, nobody hassles really you. They figure you're there for a reason. Yeah, they must have figured out. He's worked in somewhere. I don't, I don't know where. Yeah, the, the sets weren't locked down. The first locked set I ever saw was I was filming. I was on the, the Paramount lot, and they were doing the first Star Trek movie. And I did not know what a locked set was. But nobody went in and out unless you went through security. They Literally, they locked the doors. Well, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. I hope I gave you something. Oh, yeah, yeah, a lot of, <laughs> lot of interesting stories. Okay, I hope so. Yeah, and, yeah, I like to talk to people who are on shows I like, and uh, Bob Newhart Show, WKRP, uh, Happy Days, yeah. and I'm, I'm still trying to find Grandpa Goes to Washington somewhere. You know, there's a remote possibility I might have scripts, and if I come across them, I'll let you know. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. No problem. I purged a lot of stuff about 10 years ago and scripts were one of them because I'm like, who the hell wants these? I guess people do. <laughs> I mean, they go, they scripts go for like between 50 and $500 on eBay. Yeah, I've never looked. I never even thought of that. Um, some of the stuff that I was on, we used to autograph our scripts at the end of the show. Like my Friday script is autographed. And some of the after school specials I did, Christy McNichol, she autographed my, my stuff. Those might be worth a couple of grand. No, sweet. I'll have to keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure. Uh, thank you for reaching out to me. I'm flattered when anybody remembers. I, know, I just watched the Bob Newhart Joe episode. And I'm like, this kid is good. And, <laughs> and I said, I'm going to see if I can talk to him. Yeah, I'm, I'm flattered you thought that. Thank you very much.